Hello, and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. In 2007, the Diamond Synchrotron started operations. Located at the research complex at Harwell site in Oxfordshire, Diamond is one of the largest science facilities in the UK. The cost for the initial construction plus operations since that time come to £1.2 billion, of which 86% come from the UK government and 14% from the Wellcome Trust. This week, a new report explores the socio-economic benefit of the Diamond Synchrotron. And with me to discuss that are two of the report's authors, Neil Brown from Technopolis and Isabel Boscaro-Clark from Diamond. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Kevin. Can we start by describing the facilities at the Synchrotron and the main areas of science it supports? So the, um, the synchrotron is the size, of, well, it's the footprint of Wembley Stadium, actually, not as high as Wembley, obviously, um, but it's quite an impressive um, kind of uh, investment that's been made. And uh, what we have within uh, that large footprint is um, really kind of a very bright light uh, that we are generating through uh, a machine that is of a circular nature, hence the, the circular shape of, of the building, um, that generates very brilliant beams of light and that is uh, about 10 billion times brighter than the sun. Uh, and that light is then channeled down to experiments and there are 33 of those happening simultaneously and running 24 hours, hours a day, uh, six days a week, um, because we've got one day a week for machine fine tuning uh, when we are fully operational. And what that does, uh, that uh, potentially then used in, into a variety of experiments and the breadth is, is huge. Uh, it goes from um, heritage science looking at uh, the woods of the Mary Rose um, to environmental science looking at uh, pollution, for instance, and uh, the chemicals behind uh, certain types of pollutions, all the way through to uh, health and infectious diseases. And uh, obviously, uh, we've been very active in the past year, as you can imagine. So it really is a vast range of different types of research in different scientific areas uh, that can be explored using this technology. And obviously, Diamond's been running for uh, the last 14 years. Maybe you can describe some of the key scientific impacts of Diamond since it started. Well, firstly, I, I would say that the, the main scientific impact is the fact that we've got these capabilities, that they've been built up. And they are providing unique, in some cases, some unique analytical tools uh, to the research community in the UK, um, whether it be industry or academia. So that, that's really the first thing. And then obviously from the usage, um, as you uh, would read in the report, uh, we've published um, now close to 10,000 publications. And these are peer-reviewed publications that are generating knowledge. Um, and that knowledge is uh, obviously having an impact. Um, and that impact, as we uh, kind of have already uh, mentioned, uh, ranges from, uh, you know, environmental work to, to, to global health. Uh, but some of the highlights I would personally um, kind of draw your attention to would be uh, the plastic degrading enzyme, which is uh, something, it's an enzyme that has been the structure of, has been mapped at Diamond by Professor John McGeehan and a team of researchers at the international level. Um, and they from that information they are now able to harness that innovation and look into how they can apply that enzyme to a full recycling process um, because that's ultimately what we want uh, you know um, kind of plastic bottles that are 100 percent uh, biodegradable and that you can actually kind of uh, make a gain and that are of the sort of quality that you need 
Yeah, I think it's difficult to pick on individual examples, given the breadth and variety of activity that's going on at Diamond, as Isabel has mentioned. I mean, they've had 14,000 users to date with multiple experiments going on at the same time on the different beam lines and the different experimental stations. So there's a huge amount of research that's taking place constantly. Um, we've picked some examples in the report to explore in more depth. Isabel mentioned the, the digesting of plastic, but we've looked at other examples as well, looking at processes that um, lead to Alzheimer's disease to try and understand that better, but also in another area, trying to validate models that show that the expected life year of nuclear power plants is actually quite conservative and they can be their lifetime can be extended. But I think rather than pick on lots of individual examples, I think we should really think of Diamond as being a core part of the UK's national R&D infrastructure, um, because synchrotrons like Diamond are really one of the most important types of research facility for imaging and non-destructive testing of materials and structures across a broad range of areas, and also important for the acceleration of drug discovery and, and for development. So they're able to provide unique insight and knowledge for a wide variety of fields and sectors, and they're actually quite unusual in the breadth of R&D that they support and the range of academic and industrial users um, that are being attracted to Diamond. And as a core piece of national infrastructure, when there is a national emergency, um, they can also be used to help tackle that. And I am interested, and I know it's covered a little bit in the report, uh, how Diamond has helped some of the research into COVID-19. And maybe we could just touch on that briefly. Yes, so Diamond has been involved uh, with COVID uh, research uh, since really the start of the pandemic. Um, uh, we've had about over 60 uh, projects um, that have been uh, granted time at Diamond. And uh, these um, projects range from um, kind of like really into five strands as I see it. Uh, you're looking at uh, drug design from scratch. So <clears throat> we've got a challenge, we've got a, a brand new virus. What are the uh, uh, drug therapies that we can develop uh, uh, from a blank piece of paper? And that has uh, been called the, the COVID moonshot, um, which has involved a, a collaboration across the world um, of people making some of the early compounds and we're testing them, we're measuring them uh, and so forth. So that process of just basic drug design that would happen with any infectious disease is, is, is happening and, and has started and is, is well underway. Um, then the second strand is uh, the kind of repurposing of drugs. I'm sure you heard in the news uh, about kind of a, a variety of drugs that have been uh, used, uh, but we had uh, through Accenthia, uh, which is a, a company that is based in Oxford, uh, doing artificial intelligence and looking at uh, really drug uh, design um, and, and what, what, what can be done with AI uh, there. They um, had access to the uh, script library, uh, which is the uh, Gates Foundation library of of about 15,000 compounds. So these are drug compounds. It's a library of drug compounds that can then screen. And because obviously um, we are very interested in um, how drugs can be repurposed, they can be kind of quicker, uh, quickly, more quickly introduced into, uh, into the health uh, system. Uh, that's been another project. Um, the other strand is another uh, side of therapies, which is around nanobodies. So um, looking at people that have suffered from COVID and, and actually looking at the immune reaction and looking at compounds that 
you know, kind of plasma-based uh, compound that could be uh, created from that. And obviously, we are wanting to understand the virus for, you know, in how it works, how does it infect uh, cells. Um, so all the basic work around the building blocks has been uh, another strand uh, of work. And we've also looked into uh, the testing uh, um, from lateral flow devices. Um, so overall, a lot of therapies and eventually, uh, as you've heard in the news, vaccine efficacies is, is something that has been um, going on at Diamond uh, in the past uh, uh, six months. Really interesting. And it's not immediately people think about the vaccine work. They forget some of these facilities that have all been brought together uh, to work on it. I want to take you away from science uh, a little bit. The report covers a whole range of different impacts. Uh, and maybe we could uh, look a little bit about some of the technological outputs. Uh, what are some of the key technological outputs over the 14 years that Diamond have been running? Yeah, I mean, the, the user base is mainly from universities at Diamond, but we found in the study that about a quarter of its academic users have actually collaborated with or been sponsored by industry for work at the facility. So there is a strong industrial interest, even on the academic side. But in addition to this, Diamond has worked hard to engage directly with uh, industry itself. And it sets aside some of the experiment time each year for proprietary access, where you pay to access the facilities. And this is largely taken up by, by industry. So there's been over 170 different companies making use uh, of Diamond since it started, some on a very regular basis. Um, and this includes the likes of Rolls-Royce, Hewlett-Packard, Johnson Matthey, GSK, just to name a few. And even though this is only a small amount of the total beam time at Diamond, it's now bringing in several million pounds each year in commercial income to the facility to further support its development. Now, much of this uh, industry involvement has historically been in the life sciences and particularly in supporting drug discovery and development has been mentioned. And it's actually been quite critical in anchoring many biomedical and pharmaceutical companies, um, and particularly their R&D departments within the UK. But there's also lots of potential for the facilities to be used in the physical sciences as well. Uh, synchrotron light offers one of the very few ways to look at material on an atomic scale, um, including in real life contexts as well. So we're increasingly seeing other companies such as advanced engineering and manufacturing sectors being attract attracted to the facility as well. Um, but it's not just about the industrial users, it's got a big supplier base as well. It places around 9,000 contracts each year, mainly with UK-based suppliers. And Diamond has often quite high-spec requirements and is actually driving innovation in the UK's industrial base as well, pushing boundaries of technology, particularly around optics and mechanical engineering. And we've got in the report uh, case studies looking at particular suppliers that Diamond has worked with in the past, and there we find that the ambitious and demanding specifications that are put out by Diamond have then encouraged these companies to develop their internal capabilities and improve the quality of their products, which then brings them benefits elsewhere. That's really interesting. And I guess that is always a potential feature of really large um, high technology facilities like Diamond. But it's, it's great that you've investigated and actually found concrete examples of that happening, um, which is wonderful. Just moving away from technology, because there's also been a whole lot of societal impacts. And uh, and again, you've covered those in the report. What are some of the societal impacts that you found uh, in the course of doing this piece of work? 
Yeah, I mean, there are often many steps from research to societal impact. It can take time. It can require further investment and involve multiple other inputs and, and actors as, as well. But having said that, there are examples that we found of more immediate societal benefits from Diamond's activities. We've already talked about the activities around COVID, but there are many other examples as well, um, particularly in the health area around drug design and identifying future drug targets, which is a, a key area of the facility. Uh, but also around developing treatments and vaccines um, and understanding existing treatments and existing health technologies. Uh, but there are other areas with societal benefits uh, in areas relating to the environment. So improved understanding of waste and waste management processes. And even in the heritage sector, as I think was mentioned earlier, there are various projects that are focused on determining the effectiveness of different approaches to conserving uh, important artifacts. So I think Isabel mentioned the Mary Rose as a piece of research that was helping to stop the cannonballs from that warship from corroding, for instance. That is really fascinating. And uh, I'll be quite interested to, to have a look at that afterwards. Yeah, Isabel. Yeah, from, from my perspective, um, in terms of societal impact, uh, I think I'll go back to that uh, great uh, joint venture that's been established between the Wellcome, uh, the Wellcome Trust and, and uh, UKRI's um, Science and Technology Facilities Council, because they are our main, obviously, funding agencies. Uh, but at the heart of the Wellcome has always had um, public engagement really uh, as a centerpiece to everything that they've been uh, doing and funding. And from my perspective, having seen 80,000 visitors uh, you know, at a working laboratory uh, since we started operation has been uh, amazing that we've uh, been able to show the taxpayer what we are doing to be up close and personal uh, with the engineering and the science that, uh, that is being produced. Uh, and that has really led to a, a STEM awareness um, that I think is, is really positive for uh, the local area, but also um, I think uh, uh, nationally, because you have to remember our users are coming from all over the UK and all over the four, the four countries. Um, so um, very often we would do activities with Edinburgh, with um, you know Belfast and, and so forth, but it goes on because uh, they are hubs uh, for us uh, in terms of engagement of the science that we, we deliver. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, and uh, you can imagine that, that you've been running so long, some people who will have come on a school trip may now actually be working in the facility, having been inspired by some of what they've seen, which is uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. We even have, we're starting to collate evidence uh, on a, a kind of a longitudinal uh, study um, to, to see some of our undergraduates, uh, summer placements now feeding through to PhDs and even postdocs. So actually it's lovely to see the evolution. And if they stay with us, even better. Uh, but we also know that some of them have moved on to other centres, which is also very good. Fascinating stuff and great, uh, great for those individuals. So as part of the report, you've, you've tried to estimate, and this is very difficult, of course, uh, a monetary value for the total impact that Diamond has had, looking at all of those different impacts that we've been talking about. So I'm interested, how, how do you go about trying to do those estimates? And then of course, give us, uh, give us the findings. 
Yeah, I mean, this wasn't the, the sole purpose of the study. We are trying more generally to demonstrate the breadth of benefits of the facility, but it is useful if we can quantify those benefits as much as possible to give a sense of the scale and provide some hard evidence of the impacts being claimed. And so where we can, we've tried to put a monetary figure to those benefits to help us give a better sense of what you're getting out for the, the money you're putting in. So where we have been able to attach monetary values, we've arrived at a total estimate of at least 1.8 billion in benefits over the past 13 years since Diamond was established. Um, and this includes a variety of different sources. So for instance, the value of the papers that are being produced off the back of Diamond research, which we put an estimate on based on the opportunity cost of the time that's been dedicated to producing these, uh, but also Diamond's contributions to patents. Uh, there are many patents that are citing Diamond research, um, we can place a value on those patents and claim just a very conservative 1% of their, their value for, for Diamond to include within that total. But there are other things as well, the value that users are placing on the facility by the fees that they're paying to access, the thousands of days of free training that Diamond provides as well, which we can apply commercial rates to. Um, and so combining these different sources, we've arrived at this 1.8 billion pound estimate. It is absolutely a minimum because it's early days. The benefits of past investments and use will continue to emerge for many years to come. And we've also only been able to capture just part of the benefits that have been realized so far in monetary form. But I think these already provide a, a strong indication that the facility is paying its way. The 1.8 billion in benefits that we've so far been able to estimate already compares well with the, the billion pounds invested by the taxpayer over the past decade or two, including the initial building of the facility itself. And these resources are, are still there to continue to be used to deliver benefits in future as well. And how do you think that the uh, the impact and the value that you've just been talking about compares with other major scientific research facilities around the world? It's actually quite difficult to say. I think there's been little work of a similar nature to this that's been done elsewhere. Um, as you've mentioned, this kind of study is pretty challenging given the variety of different activities that are being undertaken at Diamond and the long and uncertain nature of the, the pathways to impact from the research itself. So, STFC, the Science and Technologies Facilities Council, is very much at the forefront internationally in terms of evaluating its investments, looking at approaches to better quantify and monetize some of those benefits being realized. Uh, but we hope that this report can serve as a useful resource and benchmark for other international facilities who are thinking about undertaking similar studies in future. But I think we have already got some strong evidence that helps us to understand the standing of diamond both as a resource within the uk and how it compares internationally some of that is qualitative so quotes from pharmaceutical companies for instance who highlight that diamond is really seen by them as an extension uh, an essential extension to their own laboratory allowing them to remain at the top of a, a very competitive market we've also got multinational companies working with diamond and they access a number of synchrotrons around the world and they've told us as part of this study that Diamond is always their first choice if it's available. And then I think also the fact that the beamlines themselves are heavily oversubscribed. You've got requests for time that are more than double the time that's available at the facility, despite its, its massive expansion over the past decade. So I think this provides a good indication 
of the levels of demand for diamonds capabilities? From my perspective, it's uh, very important that we can benchmark with, with others internationally. And I think um, Diamond has, has uh, sought to be world leading in the sense that it's, it's been doing. Uh, and uh, we are hoping that with this report, we are also be, being world leading and that we can actually share um, this best practice with um, our, our community of synchrotron worldwide. Um, so that they themselves can can find methodologies that that could be suitable for them and i think we we spend a, a great deal of time internally to monitor to keep records um and and that might have been perceived as bureaucracy or interference in places but actually that that paid off really nicely uh, when it came to actually uh, carry out the the study um, and one thing that i'm particularly uh, pleased with um, which is often uh, overlooked uh, in our kind of facilities is the importance of software and computing people. And in the study, we were able to quantify the contribution uh, they are um, kind of making uh, to the science behind, behind the scenes. So that's been something really, uh, really good because it's also um, a good um, kind of a recognition of, of the staff that have contributed. Uh, I'm mentioning one level, there are obviously other levels that people uh, are contributing to, but I think that's one particular that, that strikes me. We're coming towards the end, but just before we do, we've spent much of this talking about the report, which has been looking back at what Diamond has done over the last 14 years. Uh, and I just want to spend a, a moment or two looking forward. What are the priorities and where might Diamond take us over the next 10 years? Diamond has been kind of looking at the future. That's always um, been a feature of uh, our scientists, our engineers, our technicians, and our, our, our support staff here, where we have to look at the needs of the user community. And a 14,000 strong user community has got very diverse needs and try to reconcile, prioritize those needs, uh, but at the same time also be visionary about what could be done. So together with the user community, we uh, embarked on a process of formalizing the ideas and trying to get them crystallized into um, kind of concepts for new instruments that could serve the UK in 20 years time or 10 or 20 years time. Uh, so you have to look ahead to your even sometimes three decades as to how you can drive the technology forward in order to meet the needs and in order to be visionary and, and, and preempt some of those needs that may come in the future. Um, and that process has been called the Diamond 2 Upgrade uh, Programme. And uh, we are currently um, in the stages of um, uh, putting kind of uh, bids together, funding bids for UKRI and eventually uh, for uh, base and treasury uh, to, to consider. So it is something that uh, we're always doing anyway. Um, in terms of looking at the technology that we have, but in particular, uh, looking at the next two decades has been a, a real focus in the past uh, 18 months. Any last thoughts from you, Neil? Um, no, I think it's, you know, it is clearly a very innovative facility, and I think that has been clear through the work that we've done, both in terms of its technical capabilities and the accompanying services that it provides. It has in the past been constantly looking to streamline the user experience, respond to changing needs and, and improve the quality of the research that's being conducted at Diamond. And as from what Isabel has just said, that will continue into the future as well. 
Fantastic. Well, listen, thank you both, uh, Isabel Boscaro-Clark and Neil Brown. That's all we have time for, um, but uh, thanks very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guests this week were Isabel Boscaro-Clark from Diamond and Neil Brown from Technopolis. Their report on the socioeconomic impact of Diamond was published on the 26th of May this year. And a link to that report is on the podcast pages of our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Also on our website are details of all our events, all our blogs, and all previous editions of this podcast. Next week, we're discussing developing a systems approach to reaching net zero. And my guest will be Professor Keith Hill from the University of Strathclyde. Until then, goodbye.